I'm very excited about today because I have no idea what you're going to, with what you are going to regale me. Uh -huh, well, it's interesting you should say that. You, you must be feeling um, pleased to have finished the illustrations for the list, the 50th anniversary list, no less. Yeah, but you know, it's the thing is, it's quite nice to be in that headspace actually, where you're just painting pretty colourful pictures of wine and food and now I'm back to reality well <laughs> has to be a reality check for someone right are we good to go well I've got an interesting theme that God knows where the idea came to me but we are going to talk about you're going to talk Jason I'm going to drink um, um, right, today's theme is Ambrassion Controle sizes. And um, specifically, this sounds almost as thrilling as the screw cap. Um, I think it's, it's up there with the screw cap. Um, Adventures in Wine. I'm David Chandler, and he is Jason Yap. I mean, it's an interesting topic. I don't think it's touched on very much at all. I'm sure it doesn't. In wine circles, let me have my glasses. Glasses at both sides. control a sizes, everyone. Hold on to your hats. Oh, I could, I could hear those oh, gonging away. Right. Um, so yeah, everyone crashes on about uh, the big Atlas but not so much about the small ones. So I was wondering if I could come up with a little flight of wines that were all from two-digit sized AOC. In other words, below 100 hectares of vines. Okay. And I managed it with some effort. Well, that actually is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is when you actually start to think about it, because it's so variable. So we'll go to a big one, Côte de Rhone. covers a big tract of, uh -huh. of France, really from Vienne down to Avignon. But that is the surface area under vines. So this is the planted area, is 32,036 hectares of vine, mm -hmm. right, producing 1,472,035 hectolitres of wine, which is enough to fill, <laughs> wait for this, <laughs> and this is my math, not my strongest suit, 59 Olympic swimming pools okay. per annum. That's a lot of wine. That is a lot of wine. Then... Imagine swimming in it. So Payac in the Madoc home of three of the five first growths is 1,200 hectares. Mm -hmm. So, you know, relatively pretty big. And in Burgundy, Gevry Chambertin, 400 hectares under vine. So, you know, you think of these as being rarefied and indeed even rare wines, mm -hmm. but they're not. They're quite prolific. But there's quite a few swimming pools there. And those first growths manage to be both prolific and expensive. Yeah. And I don't know how they do that. Well, that's clear. That that's yeah, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Someone must be drinking it, David, and it's not us. Um, 
But then we go to the small ones. And this is Yap's thing, really. This yeah, is well, it does. Probably, it is. We do play to it. So Chateau Grier in the Northern Rhone would be the obvious one to go to. 3.8 hectares. Okay. But it's super expensive and simply not within my samples budget. So, mm. um, oh, okay. All so, right. Well, I'll just get my coat and go then. No, tiny production. So I had to think a bit harder and um, drill down a bit. And my first port of call today is still in the Northern Rhone. Uh, it's the southernmost Appalachian of the Northern Rhone. And we are going to Sampare. Sampare. And the majority of Sampare is still, 40% of it is sparkling. Sampare Musso. Oh, yes, I've sampled that. Today, we're going to look at Sampare Tronquille. Okay. Tronquille, that's quite cool. Oh, I like the idea of that. I think I need a bit of Tronquille. Sampare, just 85 hectares under vine. So it's rare. So there's the potential to be more. It became an AOC in the first year of the concept being uh, defined. Okay. 1936. All right. But it, it's been a winemaking enclave since before that. And um, Napoleon Bonaparte, he, he was allegedly a fan of Sampare. He's and, allegedly a lot of things. Though. Well, one thing that's for a fact, his first posting as a second lieutenant was with Lafayre Artillery Regiment in Valence. And this would have definitely been the local wine. So he was a military officer in the area getting a wage from the army, and this was the local wine. Drinking Sampare. I think you could say with some certainty that Napoleon Bonaparte would have at some point consumed Sampare. He he can't not have done unless he was teetotal, which he wasn't. Mm -hmm. He did, of course, go and develop a love for the aforementioned Chevrolet Chambertin. I like the idea of this, you know. It reminds me a bit of Andy Warhol's thing about the reason why he loved Coca-Cola. Do you know that? No, I don't. He said because the reason why I liked Coca-Cola was because his Coca-Cola was Marilyn Monroe's Coca-Cola and President Kennedy's Coca-Cola. It's everybody's Coca-Cola. It's all the same. I like the idea of drinking Napoleon's wine. Well, uh, we're going to taste this anyway. And it's a pure Marsan. So there's two grapes planted in Sampare. They only make white wine, although they make the, the still and sparkling. But the two grapes are Marsan and Roussan, and by far the greatest surplus area is given over to Marsan. And this is pure Marsan from the extreme south of the Appalachian. And it's made by Jean-Louis Thiers, who's one of only four or five winemakers who are first and foremost Sampare producers. So quite a lot of people have a toehold there just so they can add some white and fizz to their portfolio mm-hmm. a few of the big players bit but of, um bit of cox's orange pip in there yeah and what you also get and what i think this may be by association because jean louis is also a fruit grower and i always get to apricot and apricot mm-hmm. stone on the nose there mm-hmm. there's a slight nuttiness what i love about sangre is you get that yellow stone fruit and then a quite a nice dry, it's quite a granitic soil, and that gives it mm. a kind of minerality, I suppose. It's quite substantial, it? though, isn't it? It's a, this is the 2015 vintage. A very traditional wine mm. from a very long-established wine area, but there's not much of it made. So you won't find any of these wines we're, we're going to be tasting today in the galley aisles of the so-called supermarket. Okay, so is this the holy grail of being relatively rare and also cheap? Cheap would be stretching a bit. In comparison to what you pay for other Northern Rome wines, mm-hmm. yeah, accessible. Mm. Mm. Inexpensive, I should say. I'm cheap. Wrong word, really, isn't it? 
Value for money. <laughs> Puts the wrong idea in people's minds. So let's drink some cheap wine. That kicks us off quite well with a small, it's very, very nice indeed. Man. Super, it's, and it's really versatile. You, you, that would stand up so well to you know, quite rich dishes, coffee yeah. Saint-Jacques, things like that, smoked salmon, which brings us on to our next diminutive appellation controle and. This should be a subject close to your heart because you've just done a wonderful illustration of the chateau. I've often illustrated and never tasted. Well, here we go. The the Appellation is palette. And it is not quite a monopole. And there's 43 hectares under vine. All these figures, by the way, really worth bearing in mind. They are moving targets because people are grubbing up Mm -hmm. vines here, Mm -hmm. pulling out a boulder there. Mm -hmm. As the viticultural real estate increases in value, which it is doing in a lot of these parts of the world, it is worth knocking down your potting shed and planting another row and et cetera, et cetera. So contrary to popular belief, they're not set in stone. The boundary is, for sure. But but within that boundary, people are finding little parcels. So incrementally... Mm-hmm. The overall figure on the vine tends to go up, you know, half a hectare year on year. But you okay. suddenly find out after five years, there's two more hectares than you thought. So, um, Palette, run by the Rougier family. The chateau, which you did a lovely picture of, with its twin spires, is a former Carmelite monastery. And the vineyard, unusually, is north-facing. And a lot of people are coming around to the idea now, with climate change, of the idea of north-facing vineyards as a way of counting against excessive sugar levels in your okay, grapes. Right, right. They knew about this in Provence 200 years ago. Oh, of course. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Palette famously has the most permitted grapes of any Appalachian in France. And it was almost a monopole, so there's only a couple of producers, but by far the most important, both historically and in terms of surface area, is this Chateau Simone. And they make red, white and rosé. And... This is the white, and you're well overdue a sampling of this, David. So, um, well, I think I am. Let me pour your drop of that. It's got a good, limpid straw colour. It's a beautiful colour. Well, it spends a bit of time in oak. It's quite a long mm. elevage for a white wine. And let me just check. What the sepage mark is. So, see, so yeah, 17 grapes permitted throughout the Appalachian. Most of them because. 17. Most of them because they were growing as a field blend in that vineyard of very old vines that's mm-hmm. in front of the chateau that you, you painted. Um, there's lots of different things going on. But this is from a base of 80% claret, mm-hmm. 10% Grenache Blanc, and then roughly equal portions of Uni Blanc and more than one type of Muscat. Right. So it's a claret base, which is relatively unusual. But it's vinified in vat and barrel with not much new oak. They just replace old barrels with the occasional new one. All these southern French Appalachians, like uh, famous wines like Domaine de Trevelon, Grange des Pères, Chateau Simone, people tend to think automatically of the reds, and the whites are really a bit neglected and underrated. This is so good. I mean, bear in mind this is a little bit too cold, and I've just opened it. It's the same vintage as the saint the 2015. But it's got an almost sherry-like nose, hasn't it? There's a real richness and 
But I've, you know, I, I don't think I've ever tasted anything quite like that, Jason. Great length and complexity, and it is mm. one of France's, unequivocally one of France's great gastronomic wines. Really well. But I find that well. I find the, the the taste of that so mysterious it makes me want to try it again. I think that merits the canting, and is drinking really well off the bat. I mean, it's lovely. It's Complex and dry and slightly nutty undertones and then there's a lot going on there. Yeah, do you know when you've got something in your mouth and you just don't know what it is and it just shuts off all your thoughts in one? Well, we can come back to it because I think undoubtedly um, it likes exposure to air. So 43 hectares under vine and that's pretty finite and a relative rarity. It's a white chassis mine. Very distinctive and altogether exceptional. So we're staying in Provence and now we're heading up to the hills above Nice to the Appellation of Belay. The urban Appellation of Nice is its um, sobriquet. It's um, quite a conurbation isn't it really all around Nice? Nice yes. Ribbon one, development now. One of the one of the most populous um, cities in France but these vines have grown 10 minute drive from the, the Bay des Anges mm-hmm. and the elevation is impressive. You really see it, it rise steeply. There's 60 hectares under vine in Belay and not many out and out wine producers. This is made by brother and sister Dalmasso and it's a blend of Faux Noir and Braquet. And again, we're still in the wonderful, can't go wrong really, in 2015 vintage. And as I say, in Ballet they make red, white, and rosé. Today we're going to look at the red. And I haven't tasted this in a while, so it'll be really interesting to see how it's showing and what we think of it. Ballet, 90% of it sold along the smart restaurants of the Côte d'Azur, mm-hmm. where they have a well-informed clientele who... Um, are quite happy to pay a bit of a premium for it. So you see very little on export markets. Right. Which is a pity, because it's, again, another old and very established and beautiful, elevated, fantastic microclimate. I mean, sunny 300 days a year, sunshine. Yeah. And mm. this all-important, two cooling influences. One, the elevation, you're you know, below the Alps, and two, these cooling sea breezes coming in, both critical to providing a really good ripening season for these terraces of vines. Bit of toffee, bit of licorice. A bit of game and leather as well. It's quite... Mmm. This wine has really evolved in bottle. I tasted this last year and um, it's shown much more evolved fruit. It's got a lovely deep garnet colour. Oh, that's wholesome. That's showing so well. The tannins are beginning to sweeten and soften. You've got the garrigue berry and herb you're always looking for an excuse to say flavors. that word, aren't you? You just love that word. Yeah, apparently it's Garrigue if it's grown on limestone, and um, I think it's Maquis if it's grown on schist. So Ah, okay, yeah, Maquis. Now that's specifically Corsica. Ma- the Maquis, that, that heralds the days of the resistance, doesn't it? The French resistance. A, yeah, a lot of people are hiding out in the, in the, in the Maquis. In uh, the Maquis. Uh, that's why mm. they were so named, yep. mm. yeah. I'm loving this morning, Jason. That's showing so well. I'm going to be investing some of this for Le Carf personnel because it's just got beautiful 
lovely briary fruit. It's gorgeous. And, um, really gorgeous. And nice white tannins. That's a product mm. of the vintage. And, and of course, deft winemaking. They are proper garagiste. They about 10 hectares of vines now. Um, the Delmasso's have, but it's a tiny hands-on operation, but they're doing very well. And I think this um, shows the wines of Belly in a very pure light. Mm, that's scrummy. We're staying on these niche wines because we were talking about the Maquis, which is very apt, because now we're off to Corsica to taste a Coteau de Cap course. Mm. The Cat Course is the promontory right at the top of Corsica. That if you look at it from an aerial view, it looks like someone's flipping the bird. It's sea on three sides. And this comes from Lurie, okay. which is about, about halfway up on the eastern flank. Incredible vineyard. I mean, it's just sea as far as the eye can see. And then these beautifully elevated, free-draining, sun-kissed soils. This is a blend of... Grenache Noir and Nieruccio. It's the 2017 vintage from Domaine Pieretti, made by Lina Pieretti. Lina's got 11 hectares of vines in total, but she mainly makes Muscat, the local specialty of Muscat du Cap Course, which I know you've enjoyed in the past. Mm. But this mm. is her much rarer red. So the Cote du Cap Course, in its entirety, is just 31 hectares of vines. So it's, it's niche. Mm. And again, as with the Belle, even more so, it all gets drunk in situ. You know, they've got so many tourists visiting every year yeah. in Corsica that they uh, don't really need to search out export markets. So, All right. So how come Yap's got hold of a parcel of this then? We were very lucky. About 15 years ago now, we were... A, a neighbour here, Dave Abraham, was the author of the wonderful Rough Guide to Corsica. Mm-hmm. And he took me and Tom out there and we went and did some extensive tasting. And signed up a really good uh, portfolio string of really top-notch suppliers. Mm. And Lina was one of them. And we've, we've never looked back. We've been shipping here wine ever since. But this is a relatively new uh, wine to come on stream. And we'll just be launching it in the list you've just illustrated out mm. next month. So this is more garnet than ruby, isn't it, this one? Translucent. Yeah. Again, lovely red and black fruit scents. It's quite really heady aroma, this one. I think there's, with all these wines, of course, from the small Aplacians, you get a strong sense of terroir. Mm. They're made in very small, specific places for specific reasons that f- reflect their location. Mm-hmm. And um, why they've stayed small is debatable, but I think it's, it's a good thing they have, you know. You get less homogenization and more focus, without a doubt. That's but also, that. the bigger you get, then the more you have to manage, and the more you have to manage, the less involved you are with the business of making wine, so... Exactly that. Tout à fait. That's a totally fair point. And like the Chateau Simone, a bit of exposure to air won't do this any harm at all. So mm. we twirl it around the glass a bit. Yeah. And the tannins are a bit younger and tighter and grainier. Yeah, yeah. You get more of mm-hmm. that mouth cooking. Mm-hmm. Which means, of course, it'd be actually great with food. So, you know, grilled red meat or mushroom dishes are going to be the order of the day here. Right? Yeah. I love Corsican reds anyway, but this, mm. is, this is a good example. Mm. And um, you could happily sell it this for a decade. The two whites drink very well now, but you're in no hurry with either, especially not the Chateau Simone. And these reds would, would both enjoy a bit more time in the cellar, but um, hard to resist now, particularly the Belle. Yeah, they're all really super Jason tip top. 
small but perfectly formed. Yeah, small is beautiful. It's not all about the big Leviathan Atlassians. You know, mm. the, often if you scale it down, you, mm. you get a qualitative payoff and something that's a little bit more special in your blast. Well, that backstory concentrates the mind, doesn't it, really? It's like knowing where it comes from and actually having a handle on who made it. Yeah, here's, to, here's to a small hand on winemakers and character wine. Cheers. More adventures in wine at www.yap.co.uk.